in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. At long last, we have arrived, and it seems like it was a lengthy process, definitely lengthier than normal, but we're here, Jake. We've reached the end. This is it. This is the finale. It is time for us and for Luke to get what we deserve. Exactly, and I'm not really sure what that means, but we're, <laughs> we're, here, to, we're here to do it anyway, right? <laughs> But um, welcome to the Watching Comics Podcast. One quick thing before we get rolling is next week's episode is going to include some very huge, amazing news that Jake and I are super excited to share with you all. It is almost ready to roll out, and you don't want to miss it. So uh, make sure, I guess, you get amped up for that and don't skip next week's episode. That's the little bit of a teaser I'm going to give you before we dive into Luke Cage here. And, and why would you skip it anyway? You know, this is this is going to be quality listening material. And add to that, major announcements, guys. Don't skip it. Don't miss it. Don't you do it. Stuff is happening. Things are going down, and people will be excited. Revivals mm-hmm. will start across the country. I think we're <laughs> at the we're, we're on the cusp of something really major, a big shift in the pop culture uh, psyche. Yeah, you know, and it, it's just it's time for us all to come together and heal this country a little bit. Oh, That's man, what we're going to do. Out loud. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do it one podcast episode at a time, especially <laughs> especially starting next week when we really blow the doors off the joint. Um, we may be overselling it a little bit, but at the end of the day, just um, we're, kind of full, we're, we're just full of ourselves enough to think that we should have a podcast. So what do you expect? Yeah, that's that's actually become one of my go to things to tell people is like, you know, I I am enough of an egomaniac that I put my opinions on comic books and films out into the ether for people to listen to. So exactly. So there's that. Um, Take it for what you will, but we highly recommend you taking it with a lot of merit and a lot of respect. So glad Mm -hmm. chat. moving back in. Okay, so we have kind of gone back and forth a little bit with some stuff. Uh, Life has happened. We've had to reschedule some things and. Essentially, we're here finally to dish on the last few episodes of season two of Netflix's Luke Cage. Jake, are you ready? Yeah, I think I'm ready. You know, I've had some time to chew it over and process some things, and I think I'm ready to uh, to close the book on this show. Okay, so quick little rehash. The... We felt like the first three episodes were really struggling to find its footing in terms of just voice and overall narrative, like how they were going to unfold certain things and how they were going to find momentum. But at the same time, there were some great glimpses with Bushmaster, and we were like, we're still here for it, too early to make a judgment call. The middle five episodes, we were like, okay, it really ramped up a little bit, but at the same time still feels like Luke is the least interesting character in a show that carries his name on it. And there are definitely some big questions we have, like what's going to happen to Mariah? Is she played out? Um, All that sort of stuff. And we left it with a solid B, B plus type of rating, feeling a little bit more hopeful for the end of the season, mainly because a lot of the online chat areas and rating portals had the latter portion of the season rated the highest. So we were hopeful coming in. That's that's where we are starting here tonight. So, Jake, give me like a quick 30 second um, non spoilery thoughts on how the season tied up for you. 
I think that it pains me to say this, but I just don't think that this ending was earned. And that's me trying to be not spoilery. We'll go into more detail about what I mean by that. But to keep it short, I, I just I just don't think they earned this, man. OK, so I'm glad you you shaped it up like you, you captured it that way. Earned is a is a really good way of doing it. I, I could see so clearly what they wanted to do this yes. season. Like, obviously, hindsight is 2020. And now that you see the end of it, I'm like, OK, I get what they were going for, but I'm right there with you. I'm just not sure I agree with the mechanics and the routes that they deliberately chose to get us there. And there are a couple of disjointed decisions, especially that I feel like we're, we're more magnified and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But I think you and I are both on the same page, right? I don't want to say I was disappointed in how it ended. I'm more disappointed in watching the ending and realizing that how I got there was not better. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good take on it. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So we are here, Luke Cage, in the thick of it. Give me one of your biggest takeaways. One of my biggest takeaways was that I've really debated how to say this, and there were there were two or three different things I thought about saying, but I really landed on, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. I don't want to keep coming back to this like I did last week, but I, I have to say at least a little there's so much inconsistency this season in the characterization of several characters and specifically and most glaringly Luke himself is so clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Before, go for you, it. before you go any farther, I just want to say, I really thought I was going to laugh. I was prepared to laugh because I thought either as a joke or quasi seriously, I thought for one last time you're going to say we needed cotton mouth. And I was like, I was ready to go there. <laughs> I, I actually was going to do my best not to even bring it up this week. Um, just because. Anyway, he, 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 well, I, yeah, I let's it. not go. I, um, for whatever reason, I was like, he's going to say he's going to do it. He's going to do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm ready. No, no. He's oh, man. He's got a good take. Let's do this. OK. Yeah. Okay. I'm as surprised as you are. I didn't go there. Um <laughs> I just felt like Luke really exemplified just this confused characterization. And, and while it was kind of, we've seen it before, it was kind of boy scouty. I actually liked the characterization of Luke in the defenders, which is a show that I thought was just kind of fine. It was just there. It was something to watch over, uh, over the holidays this past year. Um, and uh, I didn't think some light holiday selection there for a good, clean family fun. Gather around the fire, <laughs> grab your well, stockings, sip your eggnog, and watch some Defenders. It's it's this. It was. Well, you know, it's funny. Is I, I got a little bit. I got a little bit sick at my in-laws for a day or so, so I kind of laid in the room that I, I sleep in there and just watched it on my phone for the day. And I, ironically, that was the same week you and I spoke on the phone about starting this podcast. So. Um, well, Full circle. Dots are connecting. Orbit is is going. <laughs> yeah, and so I I thought that Luke's characterization there was nothing groundbreaking, but it was also well thought out. It it made sense in light of where the character had been. It meshed well with the other three characters. And I thought that Luke as this big brother type to the other characters, Luke is this guy who's just very concerned with what is the right thing to do? I thought that it made sense and I thought that it was fun and it was a refreshing, just really simply, it was simple, but it was well done. And there was, 
they didn't need to stay with that this season. That that's not how it had to go. But there were moments where it looked like they were going that way. There were moments where there's Luke is getting a little arrogant. There we now can look back and see that okay, so it turns out we've been exploring his dark side all this time. And like you said, I, I thought your comment right at the beginning a few minutes ago about uh, about in hindsight is really correct. I think you're right on the money there because looking back now at where Luke ends the season, that moment with Claire that we both loved so much at the end of the first three episodes is so totally different and in a good way. It's, and I wish they'd stuck with that characterization, right? Like if we'd gotten more moments like that, this ending makes more sense for me. It feels more earned, but as it is the way we end, I just, it just feels like I can see where they were trying to get there, but it doesn't feel like they earned it. It doesn't feel like there was groundwork laid for this foreshadowing done. It just feels like it's there. I, I don't think he was fractured enough. Like, he, here's my thinking. I, I'm going to say that my, my interpretation of the ending was they are, they are laying the table for the potential of turning Luke into an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. Or they at least want you to think that that's going to be the duality at play going forward. I think that's fair to say. So if anti-hero is going to be a key ingredient synonymous with him from the moment we have now from digesting season two up until we start season three, which could be as long as two years, because that's how long we had to wait for this next season. That's a pretty big statement that they're making, okay? This anti-hero label, I think, is fair to use at this point. If that's what we're going to do, and he is the seminal character, the character we follow around, he's our Dexter, he's going to be the one that we live with and we have to root for, even if he's got that anti-label in front of him, right? He's the one that we're supposed to be identifying with or rooting for on some level or another. That's the point of the protagonist, whether the protagonist is light or dark in the sense of goodness or badness. What I don't like is how I can't help but look back and think, one, his lack of characterization didn't seem like this concept of I'm wondering if I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing or if I'm entertaining my dark side or my light side. It was more of like Luke doing this paint by numbers approach of do I want to be this archetype or this archetype? Mm-hmm. And it was a little too thin even for this kind of comic book world that we're in. But overall, It seems to me that if I'm going to trace back the big moments that says, what were the signals that told me that Luke could be heading down this path? It's the two times that he saved Mariah before not saving Mariah at the very end. Right. And I'm not sure that that is enough to convince me that he rides within the gray shades. Like he's trying to sit on that balance beam of both sides. And so I just, I don't, I love where it ended up because that concept of, of Mariah saying like, we all, Harlem always needs a protector. He was always going to be the person I picked to take the throne. Like poetically and conceptually, if you tell me that's where it's going to go before I watch the episodes, I'm like, yes, I am all here for it. Sign me up for that crap. But man, did they just really kind of poop the bed with taking me there? Like, I just, I didn't feel like I journeyed. It was like, oh, cool, great end destination. What the hell did I just do for the previous 11 episodes? (laughs) I think you're exactly right, because it's just, I mean, just a few episodes before the the ending, Luke is there, you know, you can argue that him saving Mariah is this very, it's not a shade of gray. It's a very heroic thing where he's saying we even save our enemies. It's a very Superman kind of thing to do. 
Um, totally. How can you not read it that way? That's the thing. Like to me, that's the only way to read that because his characterization was so lacking. Like it did. We didn't have this moment of struggle or lead up where we were like, he's really entertaining either side or like, we didn't, we didn't follow the struggle with him inwardly at all. And again, maybe I wouldn't have as big of a problem with it if maybe it was a question of the Bushmaster characterization. But when the show is called Luke Cage and it's about Luke Cage, the protagonist, like I feel, I feel like we need a little bit more. Yeah, and that's just it. I mean, there, it's so abrupt is kind of how I felt. And it, you know, I don't see that conflict in Luke except in a few key moments, which ironically are probably the best moments of the season. Um, you know, we gushed about that that fight with Claire in episode three. And there's some moments in there that if they had taken those themes and they had taken that conversation and really run with it and let those themes just be pervasive and let them really be the foundation of the season. I think that this ending is more earned. I think that it's much more powerful and and I think that it's, it makes more sense. And I'm not just left scratching my head about how did Luke Cage just become a crime Lord? And so Mm -hmm. it's, I think that it's just, those moments are so good, and I'm I'm disappointed that we spent so much time with. I, I, what did we need the Harlem's Hero app for? You know what? What's the commentary there, or what's the point? Like it doesn't have to be commentary, but I just don't get what is it. You know, and why did we need to see Luke working out with with potential NFL teams and stuff? And wh- why did we need all of this? And you know what? I don't know. It's it's not bad. I'm not trying to say that it was terrible and a waste of my time, but I do look at the ending and I do exactly what you did. I said, huh, that's a pretty cool concept. Uh, maybe we could have just done this. Yeah, like why couldn't we have had that show? I that That's the thing. It's like they showed it's like they showed showed me what we could have had. And I'm like, well, I want that. <laughs> it's like I want that and, one. And, you know, the cynic <laughs> in me, which I don't love, but the cynic in me says, was this a last minute addition to provide a teaser for the next season? Is this, mm. I, I call it the true blood syndrome. Cause I watched the show true blood for, I think the first two seasons before I, I realized that it was not fun. Um, and it was like, it was like a CW show, but with boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was a slow and painful realization. But, um, <laughs> I remember both those seasons I watched, it would be like going into the final episode. There's this conflict that threatens to tear the world apart and it would resolve itself in like seven seconds. And then the rest of the episode would be an extended trailer for the next season. And I I say all that to say, I, I have this cynical fear in me that this, this scene with Luke at Harlem's paradise getting input from the lawyers and everything like that, that all of this stuff is just, it's just a tease for the next season. And instead of doing the hard work of earning that moment where Luke says, if I can't protect people the right way, I'll still protect them the wrong way. That, that moment's not earned. And instead of getting there the hard way, the right way, we just say, Hey, what if we tack this on? So people want to come back for number three. Gosh, like, I kind of am right there with you. We're like, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but at the same time, it just, if the glove don't fit, you must quit type of thing, right? Like if, if that glove slips on, then it's like, it fits. And it's like, you can't really do anything about, I don't know. Well, and to defend um, the show, you know, we've already talked about, there are those moments where in hindsight, this ending 
you can see where they thought they were building to it. So I, I don't want to be that cynical, you know, but it, I do have that fear that this was, I don't know, like did, did they set up three or four possible endings just to kind of see what they liked, you know, when, and I think it just comes back to the discussion we've been having for the last few weeks. It, it just wasn't a real focused show and the writing wasn't as tight as it needed to be. Um, you know, I, I, without being too much of a nerd, I, I do think that, writers should exist with an economy of words and they should say, how can I say the most by saying the least? And I don't know that that's the approach that was taken here. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to, I have two other things that I really want to hit on in this episode. Um, let, let us first just say that in our previous episode, dishing on Luke Cage, the middle portion of the episodes, when we kind of pivoted our conversation to Mariah and mm -hmm. everything, um, can I just say, called it? When I said yeah. that something was going to happen, like <laughs> I, I, one, I, well, I guess maybe it's bittersweet. One, I'm glad that I was right because just for the sake of the writing, <laughs> it, it, it just felt, this is bittersweet. But let me start by saying I'm glad I was right. <laughs> Here you go, everybody. Because well, I, I think we were headed towards that concept in our the last time we talked about this. We didn't want to go too far with it because we're like, okay, let's be hopeful. Let's see where they go. But it just it felt like that Mariah was ramping up for some sort of finality for both one with some of the decisions that were made in the season and two because I just was hoping, hoping, hoping we didn't have another Loki situation on our hands where oh, they're just going to keep infusing that. her all the time. And it's like, we, we played her out. We've had her greatest hits and now we're just weakening the character with everything that we're dragging out. So it's kind of like that bittersweet thing of like Alfre Woodard's performance and the real estate that she had to work with, with that character was phenomenal. I do not want to negate what she had. I think they just wrote her character into a corner and about the midway point of the season, I was like, okay, I just really hope something happens to her because I don't want the good parts of her character that I liked watching to be soiled by more of this mediocrity that they're going to try to wheel out over the next one, two or three seasons. So um, I'm glad I was right. They killed her. And it was kind of a poetic thing. Like that moment was, that moment was pretty chilling. Well, and the, it was so earnest to go the, back to the lingering to that. kiss, the poison, and then Luke saying, "I'm not saving you." It was it was a really good moment, and and that ending for her was earned, and it was the natural evolution of that character. You know, she went down this dark path of self destruction, and this is where it ends. And mm -hmm. I, no, I, I I think that Mariah. Well, you you keep going with your thought. I'll I'll jump in in a minute. I was just going to say, it. maybe this is a bad comparison, but it felt very Godfather-esque, where you okay, have this concept, yes. you have this concept of this, you, you've got this very wonderfully layered character who is clearly, despite all the good intentions that may fuel some of the decisions, has clearly made an intentional decision to live a life of darkness, a life of crime. And at the end of the day, it, it, in the cinematic world of of story arc writing karma is a thing and um, you just cannot escape it. So it's this concept of like, she's a protector of Harlem, but she's also a pusher of 
horrible things that do horrible things to people at the same time. And she is at her, her occupation at oversimplified terms is prime boss. So you know that she's kind of like this Vito Corleone type character and the Godfather, as much as we love the Don, as much as Vito carries that first movie, the performance is strong, the character is magnetic and that, that family concept, that aura, that reputation is everything. There's a reason the closing shot of that movie is Vito dying suddenly in the vineyard after he thinks he's going to have a, a good, peaceful last chapter of his life. That's the last image we get before Michael goes and, um, you know, becomes kills Michael, everyone. right? And kills everyone. So it's like, it's this, it's this thing of like karma comes around and when darkness is, is en- allowed to enter in intentionally, that changes things permanently and you cannot escape it regardless, right? That's the Godfather syndrome. And I just felt like with that ending that Mariah had, it was both, it was both poetic enough, but also tip your hat to the industry karma salute enough to where it was like, okay, this was right. Um, this was, this was one of the right things that they could do with this season. Yeah, I, I think it's really, I'm so glad you brought up The Godfather, not just because I love that movie, but because I was thinking the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what's fascinating is I, I was, so after I finished watching, uh, after I finished the season, I went and I, I looked up to just try and get a feel for, I tried to find a few interviews and just get into the heads of some of the writers and some of the people starting it. You did a good old fashioned 21st century deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly it. Um, <laughs> or, you know, you might say that maybe my daughter didn't sleep two nights ago and I had some time on my hands. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> the fatherhood, man, it's, it, it really does wonders for, for the lifestyle choices. Can I, can I just say if, if everyone, everyone, if you have children, if you ever are going to have children, if you, if they suck their thumbs, please, for your own sake, try to make sure that thumb stays healthy. Cause good Lord, if that sucker gets infected, um, you're not sleeping ever. The uh, your podcast gets delayed. It's um, this should be a pilot, Jake. Let's write it and sell it to a network. Let's do it. We can, you know, it'll be a spinoff of watching comics. Um, Boom. Sleeping never. The uh, but I read this. <laughs> I read some interviews where they were, everybody was trying to compare Luke to Michael Corleone, and I thought that's the wrong comparison because it's oversimplifying things to say good guy gets corrupted, joins crime. That's oversimplifying the Godfather. And I thought the and it's better also a trope. It's also a trope yeah. that is used like hundreds of times every single year in any sort of entertainment medium. So just like just feebly grasping for the Michael Corleone straws yes. is literally that it's feeble. Well, and it's, it's also, it's like, well, what am I going to compare myself to? Oh, you know, one of the five greatest movies ever. Let's do that. Um, and so, but I thought the better comparison was the one you made with Michael Corleone. Of course it was. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why we're here. That's why I do this show with you and not the people doing interviews about Luke Cage. Right. And, <laughs> but I, I thought that Mariah was the more Michael Corleone character. Uh, and, and I thought that Mariah's death was, it was the right ending, you know, and it's like, I think a few weeks ago I griped about my issues with the Punisher that I I think that story has to end 
a certain way. And I think that for the Punisher to have more than one story is bad writing and untrue to the character and the narrative because he should die. That's how that story has to end. Well, there's only a certain level of like when you get when you cross that line of not just revenge, but like deep seated biblical level vengeance yeah. and that is literally the only thing that fuels you that only ends one way if you're going to have any semblance of like profundity and believability <laughs> it's exactly right and and i felt like with mariah the choices she had made the path she had gone down i understood why she did it i understood the connection with her and mama mabel i understood mariah's desire to be a strong woman and to define that on her own terms. And I hated Mariah, but I loved her and I felt like she deserved to get killed. And I felt like the story ended that way. I was going to say, I love too that like, okay, it's very telling the choices that they made on how her life was going to end. Cause let's be real. Even if they would have drug her out over the course of eight more seasons and it would have been completely unwelcome. She's probably still a crime boss or running from her role as crime boss for the rest of that character. Mark, right. So the, the, what I'm getting at is this, the potential for her to be gunned down or killed in some bloody way or at the hands of somebody that's jealous or been wronged or something that just naturally comes from the filth of the industry that she lives in. That was always harrowing over her and characters like this. It's very telling when they choose to kill a character that is of that ilk and they choose to kill it, kill them differently. And what I think is amazing that alludes to what you were saying, this concept that she wants to be a self-made powerful woman that is a force of something and well-known for something. It also means that you cannot do that unless you give something up. And it's just this wonderful symbolism that the thing that actually took her life was the thing that she could have had had she re-examined her priorities. I think that's really really well said and i think that that captures what you said the poetry of of the ending and and i guess to kind of make some connections here i don't understand why we can't get this level of quality focused writing for our protagonist our main character because it's not like luke doesn't have conflict and layers to him and it's not like there isn't a wealth of stuff to explore there with luke i mean the bring the parent thing back worked for Jessica Jones, you know, and and it's just I don't understand why we can't get that level of writing here with Luke. Okay, so can I pivot then to what my really huge gripe is for this Please. season? And it didn't it didn't manifest until we hit these last couple episodes because it was again one of those things where I was like, Why the hell are you doing this and you didn't do it the whole rest of the way? So, okay, are you ready? I'm about to jump on this soapbox. Please. Okay, here we go. Bushmaster, I've been on the record as saying that um, I was very pleased that decision, the way they wrote him and everything that he brought to the season. I thought he was one of the strongest points of the season. Still feel that way. I am in on Bushmaster in, in the second season here. But what I don't like is them just randomly choosing a single episode, like half of an episode, 
where they do a flashback thing to try to show us some <laughs> humanity and previous story and how we got here with this person. So here's the thing. I'm not anti-flashback, and I'm not anti that convention for storytelling. What I am anti is lack of consistency and lazy writing. And <laughs> it was like they got, they got to this point. And they had written three quarters of the season. We're like, oh, crap. No one knows where he came from, and maybe that's important. Ah, I'm going to throw this in here. So here's what they should have done. Here's what I want to pitch to you, Jake. Here's my revisionist history of season two for Luke Cage. How about they take a note from the Orange is the New Black book, and they actually take a couple of the main characters of the season and do a back and forth from the very beginning all the way through the season. So it's it's a it's a slow burn, maybe even a breaking bad where it's like you get the, the semblance of the of the pieces of the teddy bear in the pool and in the backyard and stuff. And as the episodes go along you realize that it was the teddy bear that flew from that airplane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but what if we had Bushmaster and Mariah's daughter, I forgot her name, Lord forgive me. Uh Tilda. Um, Tilda. Okay. So what if we had Bushmaster and Tilda and they were the characters where simultaneously throughout the season, we're spending maybe a third of the time in um, flashback seeing how Bushmaster became Bushmaster and how Tilda and Mariah's relationship became fractured. And we get that sprinkled in appropriately a little bit every single episode of the season to where it builds up to this concept of um, past and present and where we come from defines who we are. Fractured relationships end up fueling our rage or our hope. And it makes these decisions buy into these characters that ended up being huge tipping points at the end of the season that we weren't necessarily sure were going to be huge tipping points, it would have given us that string along and would have maybe helped these moments both feel more earned, would have given us more scenes to develop certain concept of this broken relationship between Mariah and her daughter, given us a little bit a deeper of a window into this Bushmaster character who I thought was the best portion of the series uh, or of the season and those things like that. I just, I was like, I got a taste of that and was like, don't you dare don't you dare put it in one episode and then get rid of this. Why, why didn't you do this the whole way? And we could have even done a little bit of flashback with Luke if we were complaining about his character development. It's like that could have been a, an ingredient in, in, in the entire second season. It could have reshaped the whole thing, and it would have given it a little bit of a different storytelling type of flavor. And I just I feel like that's the season we should have had, and I didn't feel that way until that episode hit. And I was like, dang it! <laughs> it's like how I felt after I watched the movie The Quiet Place where I was like this was really really good but you know what it could have been brilliant if you would have changed like two things I didn't see A Quiet Place yet I, it's one of those things where I can't decide if it's one of the best movies I've seen all year or if it was one of the movies that tried the hardest and just missed and I, 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 I saw that movie four months ago and I still can't decide interesting now I may have to go see it um, yeah. but a little free publicity for a quiet place. I know they were needing it. Um, Jim Halpert's second act getting into it. <laughs> anyway, I just um, talked for a long time, so I'm, I'm going to let you take the floor. No, I, I'm processing what you're saying, and, and I'll be honest. I think that that approach would have been really effective here. Um, you've really sold me on it. Um, I think that for me, and I'm going to sneeze in a second possibly, so I'm warning all of our listeners, if you got the volume up, um, Nope, please pass. God bless you. Yeah, well, oh, you know, 
I just there's nothing worse than having the volume up and somebody just shouts. Um, take take the God bless you, put it in your pocket, redeem for a later time. Because we know it's coming. Um, I think that for me, <laughs> what you just described is it, it. Not only is it's not only going to pace things better. It's not only going to make characters more sympathetic. It, it is also going to help with some of that Netflix bloat we've been talking about where, you know, you've got 13 episodes. And so it just doesn't really feel like it gets going until episode four on these shows. And, and I think that that approach helps smooth that out a little bit and helps, you know, it's filler, but it's meaningful filler. It's not Luke trying out for the New York jets or whatever he was doing. Exactly. And, and I, and I, and I do want to clarify one thing. I typically am not a proponent of, man, I would have loved some more backstory on here. Because nine times out of ten, I'm going to err on the side of like, you know what? I want more mystery when it comes to certain sorts of things mm. because I think that makes the story stronger and it challenges the audience to use their brains a bit more and to be a little bit more creative. But I, I reached this conclusion because clearly at some point along the way, the writer's room decided that providing a little bit of more context was important. And if they're going to do that, then I would rather them deem it important enough to do it the right way. Well, and I guess my thought was, I like, I'm, I'm there. So I, I say what I said that I love your idea. I'm on board with it. Coming into our recording tonight, I came ready to say, I'm, I'm about the mystery. And, and I like, you know, my favorite TV show ever is The Sopranos, and I might be the one guy that really liked the ending to The Sopranos. The ending was phenomenal. Thank you. Okay, so it's us. It's you and me. This is why we work so well together. Just because <laughs> I like we it. We started the when... podcast to get to this moment right That's here. exactly it, so that we <laughs> can just... James Gandolfini in the diner with his family members slowly joining him, and that music playing and that slow pan out is the reason you and I are friends. We, we oh, needed oh. to have this moment. Okay, well, if we're going to do this, let's do it. He's dead, okay? And For sure, that's, 100%. That's why I love it is because there is a definitive answer, but nobody is feeding it to me. They are making me earn it myself, and they're assuming you know, my intelligence. Because even though he's kind of a horrible human being, according to some current reports that have come out, Matthew Weiner, in terms of show running <laughs> and developing conceptual ideas, is brilliant. And, and that's just it. And so... The, the thing is that I, I, you know, with Bushmaster, I get what they're doing. They're trying to provide that context. They are establishing what's happening. And, and, and I understand that writers room meeting you're talking about, but at the same time, what if, what if Bushmaster was just who he is? And what if he was humanized by his relationship with his community? Because the reality is I, I didn't really need him more humanized by the time that episode rolled around because completely had, agree. Yeah. The older guy that owned the bar was all the humanizing I needed for Bushmaster because he was performed. The Bushmaster's performance um, was so, it was nuanced in those scenes with, and I'm, I'm trying to look up the name of the older guy and I'm just not finding it. Um, but that, that guy that owned the bar, those scenes, you could see that Bushmaster respected him. You could see that he wanted this guy to respect him back, but 
you could see that he didn't agree with him. And you know what that did? It humanized him for me. And it made me care about his relationship with this mentor figure of his. It made me care about his relationship to his community. And it made me realize that I might not agree with his methods, but there's more to this guy than I understand as just the viewer. And that's all the humanizing I really truly needed. And I don't know that I needed them to expl- to go more into it. And that's fine that they did. But, I, yeah, I don't know that I needed the backstory, honestly. I, well, I mean, I can completely buy into that, too. Like, just trim away the fat. Like, we don't – just because you can doesn't mean you should is an adage that, like, should be <laughs> adhered to a lot more with these Netflix shows. Um, as much as I love Netflix and as much as we're talking about it. Like, the bloated thing is, is an issue. Um, can we... It's apparently being written about on the monitor, so. <laughs> Can, can we take that and kind of pivot just a little bit into, did you see the news that Iron Fist season two is going to be 10 episodes? I did see the news and I feel like that's still nine episodes too much. <laughs> I, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic and I, I still have not seen anything to convince me that, that Finn Jones is going to be positive. You're disgustingly <laughs> positive right now, Jake. You're <laughs> Hope springs eternal, man. On this one thing, okay. Uh, then let's can we can we talk about the red herring too? In, please, as yes. Part of this conversation. What the? So he just shows up. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it, it, didn't you expect for like a studio audience to start cheering and hooting when he walked on screen, <laughs> like with this week's special guest star? That's when I wanted it. That's when I wanted us to be on Mystery Science Theater 3000 was with that <laughs> moment right there, I, especially the reboot. I need Patton Oswalt in the room saying something in that moment. <laughs> That's exactly yeah, it was. It was so clearly. Yeah, man, it was just such forced fan service to say, you know, because at the end of the season, I can now safely say I'm never going to get the Heroes for Hire show that I really want. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. And, but this was clearly them just saying, hey, everybody, we know that some of you out there want to see this interpretation. So we're going to throw you an episode. And it, I just I didn't need it. And I mean, m- maybe we shouldn't be suckers for continuity because, again, this is a comic book cinematic universe. But um there, him making an appearance in this season makes it even more confusing how Defenders actually blends with the individual seasons of the shows. Yeah. Because, I mean, Luke was not mentioned one iota in season two of Jessica Jones. Yeah, not even as like a failed... Yeah, she didn't even like mention him as a failed relationship. I don't think nothing whatsoever. And so it's like this concept of you could you could start a whole Reddit thread and maybe it's out there already. I don't know. I don't go on Reddit that much, but you could start a whole Reddit thread on this concept of okay, was Jessica Jones season two before or after Defenders? Here's why. Um, but clearly, Luke Cage's is after Defenders. But is it? So then, but was Luke Cage before he met Jessica Jones, though? Because we could have made that assumption because of his relationship with Claire. Like, the the level of confusion is staggering, but maybe we shouldn't even go there because it's probably not what it's meant to do. I don't know. Maybe that's just a, a question that's out there. It's it's like a lighter version of the X-Men timeline problem. <laughs> right. 
so Professor X is going to die, and then we're going to bring him back in another movie immediately after and not say anything. Everyone will be fine with it and rate that movie higher than it should be rated. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly that's, it. Is that what you mean? <laughs> Uh, well, and like, I don't know. So I saw one time someone tried to like reconcile all of that universe and its timeline problems. And then they did Days of Future Past and they provided the easy out to just say, oh, yeah, the timeline's messed up because of time travel. And then they went and messed it up further with the next few movies they made. So it's, yeah. It, it makes no sense. But. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the Defenders Iron Fist thing, I, whatever, it is what it is. I, that's, that's what I have resigned myself to. Well, don't you, don't you feel like this season and Jessica Jones season two, there's almost, this, there's almost this sense of confusion about are the Defenders still a thing, not just from the characters themselves, but also from the writers, where they're trying to figure out, did that happen if it did, are we excited about it? Is it going to happen again? And do we really want it to? And there's all this confusion about, like, do these shows benefit from a shared universe the way that the Avengers movies do? Or do these shows maybe work better in a vacuum? And you can see that they're still working through that in the writing. And there's moments where it becomes so glaring, like when special guest star Danny Rand drops in. And I think this... I think the Defenders, and I don't want to, maybe I'm going to overspeak, but I don't want to say that Defenders is bad. It was good, and it's, yeah. better than, it's better than a couple of the individual shows in this canon. Yeah. But for the sake of comparison, as much as we like to laud Marvel's foray into movies and television, because most of what they've done is killer and very little filler, um, and especially since we, we just assume that everyone's ignoring Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. so that everyone can act like it doesn't exist and then they don't see that as a mistake. But I almost feel like Defenders was their moment where they succumbed to the same problem that DCEU did, which was we're painting by numbers and this is what's expected in the formula, so we should probably just do it instead of asking the question of what is the best way for us to move forward cinematically and story-wise? Because I feel like Defenders is kind of like Justice League, not just in the team-up standpoint, but like Justice League was this movie that flopped not just for a myriad of reasons, but the biggest one seemed like it was because, well, no one really asked for this. Mm. Did we really need it when standalone movies were doing just fine and we haven't really developed the rest of the universe enough yet? And I think that's the ultimate weakness that set up Justice League for the horrible fall that it took. I can't help but think about Defenders the same way, even if there were moments of it that were executed really, really well. It's this concept of like, well, I mean, it was done in the comic books. All these characters have their one seasons now, so why not? It, well, instead of saying like this is where it's this is where it's leading to, and this is what we have to do next because this is where we have led it to. Well, and you can see in Defenders, there's this like it, you can see like Luke Cage and Jessica Jones trying to figure out why they're fighting the Hand, and you can see in the Hand's power struggle, all of these villains trying to figure out which of us is the most compelling character. Is it me? Am I, am I, am I really that interesting? You know, and they keep going back and forth and yeah, I thought the biggest problem with the defenders is basically what you're saying. Like there were just wasn't a reason for it. And I never felt like the hand was established enough as a threat. And I never felt like 
they they were really compelling as villains and Electra's resurrection was just kind of handled. I don't know. And and I see some of that problem in here. I forgot about that. The Electra thing was weird. Well, I I get why they did it because the comics did, but like that Mm -hmm. can't be the reason, you know, and you can't say like, I just didn't think that there was a real compelling organic place to go with those characters. And lo and behold, I don't think Marvel felt there was either. Yeah. And it just, they didn't realize that until after they had made and released the show. And so it's like, Oh, well it's out there now. (laughs) Yeah. That's just, yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those things where I I could see them just like, Hmm, I don't think I feel as good about that as I'd like to. Uh, Maybe we don't do this again. Mm -hmm. Which, which again is probably, I mean, Given the circumstance, if the show was going to come out and it's out there anyway, then that's probably the best decision. It's like, okay, cool. We'll press pause, maybe indefinitely. And that's that's better than, than limping along trying to make it work. But the fact still remains, it's out there. And we don't necessarily need to harp on it too much longer, but it's it's out there and it's both comical and confusing. Yes, that's well said. Um, but anyway, Luke Cage Season 2, Jake, closing thoughts. I'm going to give it a C average and I'm going to say that it exists in the same place for me as the defenders where it's not a bad thing. I'd watch it again under the right circumstances. I don't think it lived up to its potential and that makes me a little sad. I'm right there with you. I feel like a B minus C plus is the kind of range where I would want to lean, but it's really interesting because typically if I, if I want to give something a C grade, I'm almost kind of saying like, I'm not signing off on it totally forever. I'm just saying that it's going to sit in my queue and I'll get to it when I get to it rather than making it appointment television. But because of the ending and because I'm a sucker for wanting the best in things to come out and, and believing that it's possible. I'm probably still going to view it a little bit more as appointment television with as disappointing as some of these moments were, because I'm probably going to talk myself into that hopeful attitude of like, but okay, they messed up the lead into the antihero, but now he is the antihero and they won't mess that part up. And, and, I, and I'm here for it and I'm ready. And I want to see Luke on the dirty throne. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm still probably going to be watching it the night it drops, even though I, I left more disappointed than pleased with this season. Let me, let me close out my thoughts by pitching you what I wish had happened. What if they had, let's assume they earned that ending, right? Let's assume that mouth comes back from the dead. (laughs) He comes back from the dead and it's a show where he and the Kingpin sit in a room and are awesome for 12 episodes. Um, no, I, but what, what if they had earned that ending? Maybe they shortened the season a couple episodes they do your method of flashback where they're building to something. We focus more on Luke's conflict about the effectiveness of what he's doing versus Mariah maybe being more effective possibly. What if we conclude with Luke enthusiastically and wholeheartedly putting on that suit, walking into Harlem's paradise and saying, I am truly going to protect my community now and Defenders 2 is the internal conflict. It's like Defender Civil War with maybe the others are saying we have to take Luke down and Luke making the compelling case for I'm the hero. You're just ineffective people beating up bad guys. OK, so 
um, what do we have to do to do, get the Infinity Stones and do a Thanos <laughs> snap and go back and make that happen? Like, to me, to me, that's like not even, there's not, you don't even have to sell that. It's just like, just present that on the table and everyone goes, yeah, I would rather eat that. Well, because it's, it's unexpected, but if you earn it, if you do the writing right, you focus in on what your end goal is and you make every line of dialogue and every moment for that character in some way feed into that ending, you earn it. I think it's a compelling conflict and it really gets into the, the point that these Netflix shows are beating around but not necessarily just getting to like they should sometimes. And that is, can you really help a community without selling out? You know, I mean, if if we could oversimplify, that might be the story or the theme that they're trying to get to here is, do you have to work within the structures that have ruined society to fix society? And you could make a really compelling show out of Defender Season 2 if you pit the Defenders against one another in that way. Completely. I, I'm I'm 100% in on that because especially it it makes the anti-hero portion of it a lot more weighty because it's being carried by those characters that you have emotional buy-in with that we've already traveled with and we've gotten to that point like you said that we've earned with that organically came to us and so it's like we we're entering into Defender season two loving Jessica Jones and Daredevil and the White Hat as flawed as they are. And we're also going there loving the the necessary black hat of Luke Cage. And so it's like the entire time you're watching that season, the two sides of your brain are fighting each other as you um, try to tell yourself which side you want to pick. I am much more engrossed by that concept. And, of course, we know based off of his nice little cameo that Iron Fist would be on the Luke Cage side of things. So then that would, you know, by proxy, just make his character more interesting because and and hopefully suck less because then he would you know be switching sides and effectively mm-hmm. be standing alongside Luke and then that could maybe actually give him some real estate to work with and maybe be th- be worth being on screen <laughs> we we can always hope we can we can wish for it yeah so um marvel and netflix showrunners we know you're listening to this so why haven't you called us yet um i mean i work cheap got- guys we work cheap. You've got our email. Make it happen already. We can, we can, we can fix this. It's not your <laughs> fault. We can fix this. Um, that's it. We close the book on Luke Cage for now. We will, we'll see what happens. But just earlier this week, uh, it was kind of secretly dropped on the interwebs that Daredevil Season 3 is going to sneak in before the yes. end of 2018 and not in 2019. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I'm so excited for that one. So I dare daredevils just what they've done that one. Right. And I, yes. I hope that that's what continues. Yeah. No joke. Word. Well, thanks so much for hitting us up, following us along with this Luke cage bit. If you want to hear again, uh, or for the first time, perhaps all of our thoughts on Luke cage season two, obviously we have two previous episodes on this. The first couple episodes of the season we broke down and then the middle portion episodes we broke down as well, really easy to find. So you can listen to all three here and you can kind of get this in a, a nice little package of what you should think about Luke cage season two, because we told you to, uh, that's how podcasts work, I guess. Um, but check us out on watching 
TeenComics.com. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, rate and review us, all that jazz, because next week we have a wonderful, exciting, super cool, awesome announcement. Can't wait to share it with you all. Want to make sure that everyone knows about it. Yes, come back and hear the greatest news that there is to hear. Thank you.